0: Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision-makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions and live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Well,
1: good afternoon in the East and good morning in the West. Thank you for joining our webinar today. My name is Jessica Groskopf. I'm a Nebraska Extension Educator at the Panhandle Research and Extension Center where I am the economist. I'm also the director of the Nebraska Women in Agriculture Program. Welcome back to our weekly series of webinars produced by the Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics. You can find a complete schedule of our future events and our past recordings at farm.unl.edu. We'd like to point out that the Rural Response Hotline remains a great resource for agriculture professionals across the state, providing mental health counseling and information regarding legal legal assistance, financial clinics, mediation, and more. The hotline's toll-free number is 1-800-464-0258. We have also have a wealth of resources related to stress and wellness at ruralwellness.unl.edu. This webinar is a panel discussion co-sponsored by the Nebraska Women in Agriculture program to assist farmers and ranchers to better understand their financial positions. Today, we will look at strategies and steps to consider as you prepare to renew your operating loan. We'll look at balance sheets, cash flows, valuing assets and inventory, refinancing and more. We welcome your questions in the chat box or in the Q&A at the bottom of your screen, as we will be answering those questions throughout today's webinar. Please help me in welcoming our panelists, starting with Dallas Zimbelman, branch manager of Archer Credit Union. Dallas, thanks for being here. Also joining us is Tara Janda, a financial services officer with Farm Credit Services of America out of Kearney. Tara, we appreciate you joining us today. And finally, I have my colleague with Nebraska Extension, Austin Durfelt, the regional economist for the southeast portion of the state. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Again, if you have questions, we encourage you to either use the Q&A at the bottom of the screen or the chat box to uh, send us questions. So to get us started, uh, and we're talking about loan renewal, what do producers uh, need to prepare before arriving at their loan renewal meeting? So we'll start with you, Dallas. What do you think that producers need to prepare uh, before they step into your office?
2: Hi, so um, the more prepared that you can be and the more accurate that you can make your financial statement, um, the better look that we can take at your operation. So some tips um, and things that we like to see are an accurate list of accounts receivable or accounts payable that you may have, uh, your updated crop inventory or market livestock numbers, any contracts that you may have, uh, or at least know your contract price and bushel numbers for that. Any equipment you have bought and sold over the previous year and a crop operating plan is also helpful. So knowing your estimated crop acres, what you're planning on planting um, and any crop insurance programs that you would have for those those acres. And then for our livestock producers, it does help to know kind of what your plan is throughout the year for your um, coal cows and replacement purchases.
1: Thank you, Dallas. Tara,
3: what do you have to add to that list? Yeah, really for your lender to have a clear um, outlook on your operation, I think share everything. And if um, if there are going to be some changes in your operation in the upcoming year, um, maybe you're renting more acres, um, that might be a discussion with your lender that um, you might need more on your operating line to to support your cash flow. And so really just having those numbers prepared, um, looking at your cash flow and being realistic with it. Um, not every cash flow, um, given today's environment, might be... it. It's going to be positive now with the markets, but um, let's be realistic with those numbers and not just look for one year, but really look for the next five years.
1: Austin, what are your recommendations for preparing for your meeting?
4: I think those all pretty well cover the bases. I mean, when when we start hearing the terms of you know having all your assets knowing what your grain sold at, what your inventory's at, a lot of that stuff's covered in your balance sheet. And so if you're keeping a financial record and keeping track of stuff throughout the year and you, you know, whether you're using software or handwritten methods, if you've got that balance sheet readily available, both at, in my opinion, at cost method and at market method, you'll have a very good standing when you go in that, you instead of the banker trying to help you fill in the blanks, you're kind of leading the conversation as to where you're wanting to go and what you're wanting to accomplish.
1: So Austin, you, you touched on our next topic, which is what is a balance sheet? So let's go through a little bit more in detail. Um, How do I create a balance sheet if I've never done that before? And then also uh, you touched a little bit on valuing assets specifically. Let's look at um, equipment and livestock. How do I know what price to value those, those pieces at?
4: Yeah. So easiest way to look at a balance sheet is is what do I own? What do I owe other people and how much value do I have in the business versus what I owe to a bank? And so when we start looking at what I own, those are considered assets and you have both long and short-term assets that are recorded on there. Um, That's anything from the cash that you've got sitting at the bank, which is a very liquid asset that's considered current asset to something considered more like um, whether it'd be land or if you've got a new tractor or a combine, that would be a long-term asset. And in terms of liabilities, again, you've got the long and the short-term, your operating loan is gonna be a short-term liability. And then anything longer, if you've got a land loan or a longer no payable maybe on that combine that you had purchased, that's gonna be a long-term liability. And what you gotta recognize when you're looking at that is the The current year of any of those long-term liabilities is going to move up into your short-term liability. And so it's something that it's, it's a picture in time in terms of a snapshot when you make a balance sheet, but it is something that's changing each year and even in monthly in some situations where you need to be able to stay on top because some of these financial ratios that you run into when you start looking at it, they can... F- flip on you pretty quickly if you're not paying attention and staying up to date on this.
1: So Dallas, what are some challenges that you're seeing on balance sheets coming in right now and some things that that producers need to be watching for when they walk into your office?
2: So a lot of times we have the conversation with um, wanting to change land prices on the The balance sheet to account for that appreciating asset meaning it increases in price over time typically in a typical environment Um, and so a lot of times as a lender we like to keep those prices um, consistent and not change them just due to the fact that it helps us identify um, trends more appropriately so when we look at a balance sheet we're not um, we it is important to look at that snapshot in time but we're also looking at a five-year trend typically as to what that balance sheet has done over time. So we don't want to inflate those land prices unless there's been a material change in um, the land, such as maybe a new well or a new pivot. Um, We can maybe adjust for some of those things. But typically, we're leaving them at a consistent um, price, whether that be at purchase price or if we've had a a recent uh, appraisal evaluation we may adjust at at those certain times, but typically we are leaving them consistent just to get consistent trends over five years.
1: Tara, is there anything else related to balance sheets that producers should be watching for?
3: I think producers always need to watch um, the top side of their balance sheet. their their working capital position. And I think um, that's one, I mean, that's really the, that's for the next year. That's the engine that's gonna drive the next 12 months. Um, I always say that the equity on the bottom side of the balance sheet that Dallas referenced, um, you know, we can make adjustments to that, but we like, we like to keep it consistent. And so really, um, I, I probably focus more on the top side of the balance sheet because that's, okay, do we, have, do we have enough current assets to cover our liabilities for the next 12 months? And does it give us enough working capital or enough excess to help us to operate? Um, that's, that's probably the number that, um, I like to focus on the most with customers. And, and if we see in an operation that maybe that working capital or that current ratio is starting to have some stress, um, we're going to, we're going to say what, what caused this stress this year? And so, um, that's where it goes into a little more in-depth conversation because as Austin mentioned, a balance sheet is just a snapshot in time. There's always a lot of other factors that go into those numbers, but it's really getting a clear understanding of what those numbers are and what they mean to the operation.
1: So let's go into how do we calculate um, that working capital? So Tara, since since you mentioned working capital in particular, (laughs) so if I'm sitting here looking at my balance sheet, how
3: do I calculate that number? Yep, so um, I always say that a balance sheet's really split into four quadrants. And so if you draw four quadrants on your, on your tablet sitting here beside you, the top left is gonna be where your current assets are and the top right is gonna be where your current liabilities. And so that current portion of term debt or your operating loan, they're gonna sit up top in the next 12 months in those liabilities. Um, your current assets are gonna be your inventories on hand, anything that's gonna move in the next 12 months. So your cash, your, your grain inventories, your feeder calves to sell, Um, anything that's gonna produce income. And so to get that working capital ratio, it would be your current assets minus your current liabilities. Perfect. So
1: we do have a question from the chat box and I encourage you if you do have a question, please go ahead and type them in the chat. And the question is, um, what if you have a land value that you want to contest? So maybe you haven't adjusted that land value, um, but you've been looking at it and thinking, boy, we need to make that adjustment. So how do you as lenders handle that? We'll start with Dallas.
2: I think it just involves a conversation as to why you um feel that it needs to be changed and has there been any material changes to the property since we last looked at the value, um, such as those things that I mentioned before. And it could be that um, we haven't updated the value for 10, 15 years and it is it is um, warranted. And so I think it's just a conversation as to why you um, think that it needs to be changed, where you feel that it needs to be at. Um, and and the, you and the lender can work together to move from there as to what you think the best approach is for your
3: situation. Kara? Yeah, I would echo that. Um, it really just comes back to conversations and, and really personal preference. Um, there are some operators that like to leave their land value in at the purchase price. And um, you know, it may be well under market value. And I think it's up to us as ag lenders to be able to sort through that as well. Um, that you know, obviously your land is well undervalued um, as an equity on your balance sheet. Um, it's we we like to keep it that way for the trends, like Dallas mentioned, because we don't want to artificially inflate your balance sheet um, if land prices go crazy. And likewise, um, we don't want to have a repeat of land prices decreasing and then being overvalued on a balance sheet. So it's just a really um, it's a conservative approach that most all aglanders have. And um, if it's something you want to change, I think that's a that's a simple conversation. And maybe it's a we'll make the adjustments to everything this year. And we're gonna, we're not necessarily gonna make those adjustments for another five or 10 years.
1: So we have another question in the chat box, and it says, I have seen dozens of different balance sheets available to use and all seem to use a different layout and or terminology can you give a link to the simplest most basic starting point to use and honestly the most simple thing to do is to start with a sheet of paper and list all your assets on one side everything that you own and then on the other side everything that you owe and to work with your local lender then to put it into the balance sheet that they're going to be using and start to work with them to understand the terminology that they're going to use so Austin, any other comments on that related to what is the simplest way to start?
4: I would say that's by far the simplest way to start. If if you get through that point and you're ready to take take another step further, I would highly recommend um, it's, it's something that's going to cost money. But the Farm Financial Standards Council has a website where they have some resourcing guidelines available that's supposed to be a standard across the industry in accordance to how farms should be recorded and represented on different financial statements. And so if you're wanting to make sure, for instance, later on, we might start talking about um, comparing our financial ratios to other farms. If you're following those Farm Financial Standard Council guidelines, it should give you a fairly accurate portrayal of what your farm looks like versus somebody else's.
1: Another opportunity is that Nebraska Extension is having monthly financial courses right now called Know Your Numbers, Know Your Options. We're getting ready to launch our February um, session of that, which will be an evening class, um, and we can put information related to that um, in the follow up e- email after this webinar. Uh, but that's a place where uh, we walk through each of the financial documents um, a cash flow, a balance sheet, and an income statement and allow you to work through, look at an example farm and then build those statements for yourself and look at those ratios and glean some of the terminology um, and, and calculations from the Farm Financial Standards Council. So any other final comments related to balance sheets that, that we need to be watching? Um, I know Dallas, you've, you talk a lot about refinancing. Um, are you seeing refinancing this year?
2: Uh, we're just getting started with renewals, so uh, it's maybe too soon to tell overall, but um, so far I think what we're seeing is farmers have had a pretty optimistic year with the government payments assisting with that. We haven't ran into an instance yet where we've had to look at doing that um, quite yet. Not to say that it's not a tool that um, might be used in the future. and. My advice to producers would be not just to be fearful of that word. If you do end up having to have a refinance, it's something, it's a tool that lenders will use to help get you back on the, on the right track. Um, and Tara talked a lot about working capital. And if things get out of line at the top of that balance sheet, refining, refinancing is a good way of moving some of that debt down um, to longer term. And it reduces your interest rate risk on that debt as well as um, potentially can help with maybe lowering term payments or just getting that operation back in line. And I think just communicating with your lender um, is critical as to what led to the refinance and maybe what um, things you can monitor or changes that you can make in the future just to make sure that you are successful after the fact if you are having to utilize that refinance option.
1: So Austin, from your perspective on refinancing, is there any other comments you would like to make on that?
4: Dallas kind of hinted at it towards the towards the end of her comment, but the I'm I'm all for refinancing, especially when you're looking at what the rates are currently in terms of making sure you're you're managing your interests and what your payments are to the best of your abilities. But if you're in a if you're starting to struggle a little bit and you think refinancing is the answer and I'll I'll fix everything, my comment would be we we need to take a hard look at what exactly it is that's driving your operation and where the the cash flow is coming from, because a lot of times what you'll find is an instance of maybe I'm paying too much in seed or the cost of me harvesting doesn't make sense. And so we, Trying to go through your operation and identify where maybe some of the weak points are so we can shore those up is going to be what the long term solution is refinancing is I don't know if I necessarily want to call it a band-aid, but it's not going to fix operations that are starting to struggle there's more to it than that.
3: Tara what are your thoughts. Yeah, I actually jotted down some notes there um, during the conversation, you know, and I think Austin just hit on that. Um, you know, the first question is gonna be, okay, this is an option, it's a tool in the toolbox. Um, what changes are you going to make to the operation if we rebalance the balance sheet? Um, because as lenders, yeah, we can, we can help fix it on paper, but ultimately it's up to the operators to say, well, you know what, I was paying too much for seed um, or, you know, I, I had this custom harvest last year, um, you know, maybe I just need to harvest this myself, even if it's two weeks later, maybe I just need to harvest it myself to save on some of those costs. And so it's really being aware of your own cash flow, how you're going to make the changes, and then it's working hand in hand with your lender to find the right, the right term for your cash flow, um, and, and the ability to maybe down the road, if you, um, if you don't need that move to the bottom side of your balance sheet, maybe it's the ability to make extra payments on it to, um, to get that paid off sooner. So just again, I always say it always goes back to communication. And as long as the lender and yourself, um, first and foremost, as long as you both understand, um, you can do a lot with that.
4: And I'll go ahead and chime in again, just because where I'm the, the non-banker in the panelist group, I feel like maybe I need to make this comment. When the bank is successful, when the farm's successful. And so anytime that they're asking you to take a look at what changes you might have in the operation, they're they're actually looking out for your best interest. I know I get a lot of farmers that call me and say well I was denied my operating loan and I need to go find somebody else because I just can't work with these people anymore. I I really stress to those individuals again take a step back and take a look at the situation because more than likely there's something there that it worries them and they want to make sure that you continue to farm because again they're successful when you're successful. And so it's it's a partnership and communication is hundred percent where things start out as to how successful you're going to be.
1: A comment that I would add to that is also it's having a good relationship with your lender. And if, if the communication is not flowing well, ask for another lender within your institution before you move outside of the bank because it might just be a communication challenge that's existing so um, make sure that you can have a relationship with that person and that that trust that you have with them knowing that they are your business partner essentially okay any final comments before we start talking about cash flows
3: I, I was just simply going to, to add if there is something that you don't understand that your lender has said, ask. Because, like any industry, we get caught up in a lot of acronyms and a lot of ratios, and we're busy, you know, we're doing renewals because we all want to get renewed in, you know, December, January, February. Um, just have us pause. And if there's a ratio that we say, you know, we'd like to see this ratio, and we keep our, we're hurrying through it. Um, ask your Linda, to stop and say, "I don't understand. How did you calculate that? and um and honestly, it makes us take a step back and 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 step into a teaching role, which all of us know, yet um, sometimes we take for granted that folks know what we're saying and their understanding.
2: I would just um like to add that your lender is truly your, one of your best advocates for your operation. We want you to succeed in every way, shape and form. And uh, you don't need to just stop in and see us at renewal time. Uh, we can use that cash flow that we set up um, and we you can stop in and check in with us anytime. Um, and we have a way of walking you through certain things. Or if you're wanting to make a change or something comes up, uh, the, the door is always open beyond renewal so again um, i know tara and austin have said it but just communication uh, is, is critical with that and uh, i know lenders out there will do everything that they can to make sure that their borrowers succeed
1: all right so you guys have started to touch on cash flows so i'm going to start with austin this time if i've never put together a cash flow where do i start and what is a cash flow document
4: So a cash flow document or what I'll consider a cash flow budget is basically just kind of an outline of what you predict the farmer operation is going to look like either on a yearly basis, or if you're just starting out, like one of the questions brought up, I would highly recommend doing it on a monthly basis. Because what you're going to find if you're new to farming is you're going to have a lot of expenses up front, and then it's going to be a lot of income at the back end. And so you need to be able to map out exactly when those expenses and incomes are coming in and going out. So you can kind of get an idea of what this operating loan that you might have to get is going to cost, um, what some of the trials and tribulations are going to be in terms of your finances when, you know, do I have to change some of my living habits in order to afford it. Um, But definitely starting out, if you've never done a cash flow before, um, both UNL and Iowa State University extensions have some great resources in terms of cash flows if you're needing help getting started and similar to what Jessica brought up with what's the simplest balance sheet I can make probably the simplest thing I can tell you for a cash flow is whether it's a piece of paper or it's an excel sheet I would just go in and I'd write the months across the top I'd write your expenses down the left hand side um, if you're not sure what those expenses are I'd pull out a schedule F that Schedule F will give you a really good detailed list of what you can probably expect to be paying in terms of what your farm operation is. And then I just start going through and, and listing them out and some of the information in terms of, well, I don't know when the seed expenses going to come in. That would be something that either A, you could talk to a lender and they'd be more than happy to kind of give you an idea when some of these expenses typically happen for farms or be again, going to extension, whether it's University of Nebraska or another university, they'll have some example Excel spreadsheets and some example PDFs that they'll show you kind of when they expect some of these expenses to come through.
1: So Tara, looking at cash flows this year, what are some things that you're watching as a lender?
3: So I would say the big one that we've been watching for quite some time is family living expense. And um, that, is a, that is a hard subject to broach, but if the operation is truly, um, if there is no off-farm income, um, we have to account for family living and we have to be honest about it. Um, otherwise, I mean, as far as this year, um, you know, some of the farm inputs um, have come down a little bit, so that's, a, that's positive. And um, obviously we're able to put in a little bit higher for market prices this year, but um, that's, that's what we've seen for the most part. Dallas, from your perspective, what are you watching on those cash flow
1: documents?
2: Um, I reiterate what Tara said. Um, family living is the big variable within the operation and never not one operation is like the other um, in that circumstance. So it's just finding out what works, what works best for the borrower. I think um, with where we're seeing prices go, um, it'll not inflating that cash flow too much um, and just trying to Take maybe a more realistic approach um, with that. And then uh, the second thing would be the government payments. Um, as of now, we're not including them in cash flows. And so uh, it's just, we didn't count on them last year and we're not um, going to rely on them this year to cash flow the operation.
1: Austin, any follow up comments?
4: Yeah, in, in terms of one of them is kind of just, I don't know if I want to call it a pet peeve, but when when you're dealing with cash flows and family living, I I highly push individuals to, if they want to put family living on there, that's fine. But I would much prefer to have a cash flow that was strictly business. And then instead of having family living, have a like a wage account. It doesn't necessarily have to be a wage where you're doing it for tax purposes and keeping track of that stuff, but have a set amount where, you know, for me to be a hired worker for this farm operation, I'm going to take home maybe it's $50,000 a year. And so I take 50000 divided by 12, and that would be the monthly amount. And so that way you're kind of controlling what that family living is doing and you can start budgeting because a lot of times looking back at like the 2012 and 2013, when we had that run up in grain prices, family living really got out there to the point where you had some farm operations buying the vacations, homes, and some other things. And, and the the commodities and the markets didn't substantiate that for long-term. And when you're looking at trying to price grain, I know grain prices, Jessica mentioned $5 corn and $13 soybeans, but if you're wanting a more long-term Level-headed approach as to how to value it. I would recommend going to um, the USDA and pulling up one of their forecasted amounts. And so, for instance, the USDA is forecasting 2021 grain prices: corns at 365, and soybeans are at $10. I would much rather have a conservative cash flow statement and conservative balance sheet and end up being better off in the year than that, than I would have it be the other way around because I'll get myself dug into some problems if I go out and start spending money like I've got it and I don't.
3: Yeah, so, I, think, oh. I think Austin brings up a really great point. Um, you know, that's, I would say the run-up in corn the last time is really what caused family living to get out of control. And we have to just be honest with ourselves and our operators that, um, you know, if, if 50000 is the wage, then that's what we're going to do. And that's how we're going to calculate our break-evens because really that cash flow is going to help you to figure out where do I need to market my grain to cover everything for the year. And if we need to include family living, that's great. Um, if we have some non-farm income that's already taking care of family living, absolutely. You know, we've we've got that, we've got the checks and balances in place and, and conservative on the cash flow. And it's similar to the balance sheet trends that Dallas mentioned earlier. If we do a cash flow each year and we're always conservative with those numbers, um, we're, we're going to be able to see from year to year. And as we go back and compare to the year prior and reconcile, um, it's going to tell us where were we off in this so that we have a more accurate picture in the years to come. So thinking about the, the recent increase
1: in prices, um, how can we control our costs right? when everyone's seeing grain? up. And then we're also seeing then from the feeder side, we're seeing grains going up. So how do we balance that in our mind? And and what can we watch for here in the next few weeks as we plan um, our operations for the next year? Austin, we'll start with you.
4: I was hoping somebody else would start on that one. Um, yeah, it's... My biggest recommendation for farmers and ranchers is you got to have a long-term plan. What exactly is it that you're trying to accomplish? And for instance, I'll just use our farm operation here in Southeast Nebraska. At some point in time in the future, I would probably imagine in the next 10 years, we're going to have to buy out the relatives when the grandparents pass away. And so we're going to have to come up with a chunk of change. And so, when we see grain prices increasing like this we're not making huge changes in terms of where you know we're spending more on seed or something like that we're trying to squirrel away money so that we've got what we're going to need for the down payment and the purchase of land and equipment in the future and so if you've got a you know five or a ten year plan and you're using that to dictate what your expenses and stuff are i think that'll rein you in when you start seeing these wild swings in terms of prices as to what you should be doing.
1: Any additions, Dallas?
2: I would just hit on um, income tax time. Uh, don't I would encourage people not to go out and purchase a lot of different equipment or anything to avoid um, that income tax obligation. Now, if there's something that you can do to maybe move you a lower tax bracket from paying um, a higher percentage, I think that's important to work with your accountant to see where you're at with that. Um, but just don't make sure that you're trying to um, avoid that income tax obligation by potentially increasing term payments or other things that could be detrimental to the operation in the long term.
3: And Tara,
1: any final thoughts?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think just to re-echo, um, Stick with your plan. Don't have a knee-jerk reaction. Um, these markets have always been moving. Um, but year in, year out, um, those that stick with their plan, I, I once heard it as a baseball analogy that it's a law of averages. and average is okay um, because that home run is just that. It doesn't always come around. All right. I'm going to take a question from
1: the um, chat box again. Please go ahead and type your questions either into the chat box or into the Q&A. We will get them answered by our panelists. So this question is, we have the opportunity to purchase part of a deceased relative's property. How do we figure out if it will cash flow and where do we go for a lender? So Austin, I'm going to start with you on that one.
4: So again, I'll you know, going to extension to find out some of those example cash flows or helping you work out through a cash flow, especially for if you don't have any farm equipment and you're looking at whether it be cash renting or custom operations, there's resources available to help you try and get a grasp on what the local cash rental rates are or what some of the costs might be if you're going to go out and custom hire operations done. In terms of finding a lender, um, again, working with your current bank is always something that I'd, I'd stress because you've got that relationship built. If they're not comfortable with doing operating loans or managing farm ground in that, that regard, um, definitely you can reach out to Extension or you can do a search and you'll find, um, for instance, we've got two very qualified individuals today that would definitely be able to handle things of that nature.
1: So Dallas, how would you recommend they go about finding a lender?
2: I think if they even have a relationship on the personal side um, with an institution, that would be where I would start because um, they do not know you as a farmer, but they still do know you and um, maybe would be able to connect you with the right individual um, for your situation. Uh, the extension is a great resource for all things um, with getting started. Your county um, typically has an extension agent through UNL. That would be a good resource for you. Um, and word of mouth, um, ask around for your area where you're at and see if you can get recommendations from other individuals um, on good lenders to work with in your area.
3: Tara, any final thoughts? Yeah. I, you know, just ask some of your most trusted advisors, um, where they would send you to. And it, it also doesn't hurt to, um, to be real upfront and honest with folks and say, you know, I'm looking for a new lender. Um, can you show me your products and, and what you can do? And so, um, you know, I, I know a lot of us have done that over the years, like with home loans, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a real estate purchase It's still an ag loan. Um, it's nice to know your options. And I think that
1: lender, when, when you can go and interview them, don't be afraid to walk into multiple institutions, sit down. Uh, lenders are kind of like hairstylists. If you don't like them, find a different one. Um, and also ask those tough questions. Um, you know, what not only what are the terms, but how can you help me? And are you willing to work through this process with me? Because they will also help you um, develop that, that cash flow and that balance sheet to help you uh, understand what you're getting into. So we have another question from the chat. Uh, Dallas and Tara, can you speak to the change in long-term interest rates for land and building refinancing over the last year? How have those rates in your institutions changed? So we'll start with uh, Tara on this one.
3: So um, I always say my crystal ball is broken. (laughs) Um, Last fall, we saw an interest rate drop. And so, um, for my for my career, um, I called my customers. I did rate conversions on their land loans. Um, oh wait, then March rolled around, and um, and rates dropped even further. Um, so, it, you know, I think it's really just um, being aware of what's happening in the economy. And um, right now, I, I mean, I think it's it's very well known that these long-term interest rates are extremely low, and um, and you can and you can lock in on on low-term interest rates right now. So um, I I think it's definitely a a leg up for our ag producers to lock in some long-term fixed money um, that may be really a a valuable asset down the road to their cash flows. um, If we would see our variable rate interest rates um, prime and and the 10-year treasury, if we see those to start really moving, um, I I always say don't put all your eggs in one basket and, you know, moderate and, and kind of blend that risk across your portfolio. Um, appetite for risk is always based off, off of an individual. Um, you know, it, it's no different than you've, if you go a variable rate, um, that's going to be your highest risk. If you do a 30-year fixed, um, that's going to be the most conservative route. And, um, you know, there's somewhere in between for everyone. Dallas, any follow-up comments?
2: I would just reiterate what Tara said. Um, the interest rate environment is interesting because we've never seen anything like um, the pandemic before. And so it's hard to know where things are going to go in the future, but we have seen rates lower um, and even on operating costs as well. So that's been a positive. Um, take advantage if you can. Um, but again, with this environment, it's not one that we really know what the future will hold with um, everything that we've seen. So. Um, again, like Tara said, the crystal ball would be nice, but unfortunately, we just don't have that.
1: Awesome. Again, if you have questions, please go ahead and put them in the chat. I have another one from the Q&A box as well. When looking at purchasing farmland as a young producer, how do you talk with your lender about getting a guaranteed loan Um, whether that's through the FSA Beginning Farmer Program or a secondary market to secure a lower interest rate on a long-term loan. So we're actually going to start with Dallas on that one. And if you need me to repeat it, I will.
2: Um, Yeah, that would be great. Thank you.
1: Yep. So the question is, when looking at purchasing farmland as a young producer, how do you talk to your lender about getting a guaranteed loan whether through FSA, beginning farmer program, or on a secondary market?
2: I think just that, um, just going into your lender and asking those questions and um, having a dialogue about it and finding the program that work will work best for your situation. Uh, the more research and information you can bring on the front end um, is always helpful. Uh, when you're saying you're a beginning farmer what does that mean to you are you know are you looking at cattle um crop row crop how many acres uh the more information that you can bring to that meeting is is always helpful and i think just asking those questions um, is a good way to get started and um, the lender can work to find the best scenario that works for your situation
1: tara any
3: follow-up Absolutely what Dallas said and I would just echo that um, FSA is is a really great place for our young and and beginning producers to start and um, they have those programs for a reason and they have eligibility guidelines for a reason and it is really to cater to that that segment wanting to get into agriculture and so um, don't be afraid to to look at FSA, they have a lot of information online on their websites, Um, you know their local offices are also a really great resource and And I mean, realistically for for a young person to purchase land, um, it's it's a really viable option for for that first land purchase. And so um, I I highly recommend for a young producer to partner with FSA and, and take advantage of some of those programs as they're getting started.
1: who can I ask in addition to my lender uh, about improving my cash flow? So we'll start with Austin on that question. Again, the question is who can I ask in addition to my lender about improving my cash flow?
4: Well, I would highly recommend, you know, pitching our own organization extension is there to help you kind of glance through and get an idea of where you're at compared to what we're seeing with other farm and ranches in the area. Um, to an, a lesser extent, I would tell you tax preparers probably have a fairly good idea of what farm operations are spending in your area for different production sizes. And they would probably be able to help guide and walk you through in terms of creating that cash flow. Um, but definitely I'd reach out to your local extension, definitely Jessica or myself for examples um, to get an improved cash flow or try and get a grasp on how to make it make it better from what you've got.
1: I would also recommend Nebraska Farm Business Inc. Um, they produce a report every year that shows the co- the average cost of production of producers within um, their system, and so that allows you to look at okay, my seed cost is in this percentage of, of their um, report. So what does that mean for me? Do I need to go shop around? Um, for seed or look at my seeding rate um, and, and start to ask yourself those questions of why is this so high? I think one of, one of the faults sometimes of producers is that they're overly loyal to a specific brand or to a specific company or to a specific salesman. And so sometimes maybe they're paying a higher price um, than maybe their neighbors. And your, your financial um, position is independent to who you are. And so maybe there's a reason you're paying at and it's a good reason. But sometimes, you know, being able to suck those expenses in requires you to shop around, and I know that can be hard for some people. But it is important, especially if you're looking at that cost of production, or your banker has asked you to work on improving your cash flow, is to really look at where can I improve without docking my yield or without um, docking my production. Any additional comments on that? I'll start with Dallas.
2: I think that's all great, um, and just kudos for wanting to improve your cash flow. First of all, that's, that's a great start is just having um, the desire to do that. Um, another thing that you can do is a field-by-field analysis. Instead of looking at the big picture, sometimes it comes down to breaking it down by field and, and finding out um, maybe you're, you're dumping more inputs into this field versus another field. And sometimes taking that detailed approach, you can find ways of cutting back expenses that way.
1: Tara, any follow-up comments? Okay, Uh, we do have a comment from the chat um, and they say it could also be a problem on the marketing side. So making sure that you have a good marketing plan um, and that you're executing that marketing plan. So for example, you know, looking at that price run-up today, not overextending yourself, but looking at if this is the price reality that we live in. Um, should I be marketing some grain at this point? Um, marketing can also play an important role in your
3: cash flow.
1: So another, and oh, go ahead, Tara.
3: I was going to say, in tying into that too, um, we've we've touched on marketing here, and it brings up another great point of discussion: is um, making sure that all the players in the game know what your financial plan are. And so um, most every ag producer works with their crop insurance agent, they work with their lender and they work with their marketing team. Making sure that those players are on the same team because um, with crop insurance, you've, you've got some, some opportunity to potentially market and, and that crop insurance is gonna offset that risk. And so um, I think it's just important to bring all the players to the table and, um, and make sure that you're all following the same plan. Because um, as a lender, we're going to say, here's what we want you to focus on. Your marketing advisor is going to say, well, this is what we're going to focus on. And your crop insurance agent is going to protect some of that risk, right? They're going to say, this is what we need to focus on. And so just making sure to bring everyone together and say, this is my business. And these are you're surrounding yourself with those trusted business advisors. Austin, do you have anything to add to that?
4: Just in terms of if you're you're building your dream team for for advisors in baseball, definitely include your tax accountant in that list just because, and again, the objective isn't to pay $0 in federal and state taxes. The objective is making sure that you're, you know, if you generally file on the 20% tax bracket and you've got a year like this one coming up where corn prices and soybean prices are up, maybe we do need to do a little bit of changes around so that, You know, if it's a matter of spending $10,000 to get back in that 20% bracket, we can get that done. But the tax account, again, their main objective is to handle and optimize your tax. And so making sure they understand what the overall game plan is and what everybody else is doing is important.
1: All right, we're going to take another question from the chat box and I really love this question. So thank you to the participant who who typed this in. It says, "Is there a difference in having this conversation between ranchers versus farmers? How does the discussion regarding improving cash flow and configuring a balance sheet look different for a cattle rancher in Nebraska right now?" So again, how does this conversation look different regarding improving a cash flow and a balance sheet look different for a cattle rancher. So we're actually going to start with uh, Dallas on that.
2: It is different. Um, You can't always cut back expenses to the extreme that you can um, on a farmer because let's face it, cows need to eat and their health needs to be taken care of. Um, And so you don't have a lot of the the room to play with with that aspect. And so yes, it is a different um, conversation, and improving the cash flow will look very different from from a rancher to to a farmer, um, and balance sheets the same way. You've got market livestock up top and breeding in the middle, um, and so there there are different conversations that that have to be had. Um, with that and finding somebody that understands um, that in and, and knows your your long term plan with your breeding herd and and that is all more critical um, for you, rather than just the, the farmer.
1: Tara what comments do you have to add.
3: Yeah, I echo what Dallas said and um, you know, on, the, on the cow-calf or the feedlot side, um, we, we have to be a little more patient. It's gonna be a little bit slower transition to um, make those improvements typically to that balance sheet um, because we just have to, we have to wait a little longer um, for calves to be born and for calves to get sold. And so, um, but, but same principles come into play. It's, um, it's really taking an in-depth look at analyzing your own operation. And, and really going through and saying, you know what, um, this year hay was really expensive. What can I do to offset that next year? Or, um, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm paying too much for stocks and I can't, you know, um, I could, maybe I can pay someone to actually watch my cattle versus paying the, the rent that I am for stocks right now, right across the road. Uh, um, I mean, some of those conversations, you, you really have to look inside and say, um, is this the right business decision for me? Just a reminder, we're, we're coming up, up to
1: uh, the end of the hour. We have about 10 minutes left with our panelists. So if you have a question you would like to have answered, please make sure you get it into the chat box or into the Q&A, both of which can be found at the bottom of your screen. So this is a question we actually talked a little bit about um, prior to opening the webinar. We're going to start with Austin. Do you have any information slash wisdom to share about the second round of the paycheck uh, protection program that is available and how that money might be more accessible to producers at this time versus the last time uh, or the last COVID stimulus package? So Austin, what are your comments on that?
4: My, my first comment is today is January 14th, 2021. And so if you're watching this in the future, even if you wait a couple of days before you go talk to your lender, there's likely a chance that something's going to change yet again. This is a program that has constantly thrown in different loops and guidelines and changes and notices and memos to the point where it, it's almost a full-time job just trying to keep up and keep on top of this. Um, the, The changes and authorizations that they did come out with, yes, they've got a second draw on the PPP loans that you can go out and get borrowed on um, those close on March 31st, 2021. The the eligibility, to my understandings, is, is a bit stricter, but it is there and it is available. The other thing that they've done is for farmers and ranchers, they changed the way the first PPP loan worked to the point where you can go in and have your calculation for your loan reevaluated and possibly increased depending on what, what your taxes and guidelines are for your operation financially.
1: Dallas, do you have any follow-up comments on the PPP?
2: Hi, you would just say if you have a Schedule F in your income tax return, I would recommend reaching out to your lender. Um, and just evaluating if you're eligible and what you're eligible for. Uh, just remember to be patient with your lenders. Um, they may not know it all yet. They may not uh, be able to process applications. Whatever stage your lender is at could be could vary. So just be patient with them um, and do know that they are gonna get to back to you as soon as that they possibly can. But, Again, if you have a Schedule F in your income tax return, I would encourage you to reach out to your your lender um, and see if they can assist you with any of, of this round of funding.
3: Tara, any comments? I think the other two did a great job of summarizing a program that's consistently changing. All right, so
1: I'm not seeing any more questions in the chat, but if you have a question, please make sure that you go ahead and get that in there. Austin, as we look towards 2021, are there any final thoughts for um, this, this season of planning uh, for producers on the call?
4: The only thing that I could maybe mention to, you know, gear you up on is I know I've been receiving a lot of phone calls from landlords asking about cash rental rates because they see the local prices on grains. Um, and that's a conversation of generally what I've been pitching on my end when they call me and ask me what my thoughts are, is again, look at what the Nebraska um, farm income has been for 2020. You're looking at almost a third of farm income from last year coming from government payments, and we don't necessarily expect to see that again. And so yes, prices are going up, but we haven't returned to those 2011, 12, 13 net farm income levels were back down to what I would have said the average was for maybe 2006 through nine. And so things are on the increase, things are on the rise. We went through the low and we're working our way back up, but I don't know if I would necessarily say this is a time that we're going to start seeing a whole bunch of drastic increases in rental rates and land values. I think we're just starting to tick back to that level where we might start seeing those changes, but I don't think we're quite there yet.
1: Tara, any final thoughts?
3: No, I, I think just to summarize, I mean, it always goes back to communication. And, um, you know, if you have questions ask, and we're really, as lenders, um, we really are here to help. And um, and it's, it's not always fun to point out flaws in an operation, but typically, if you step back and take a look, um, you're, you're going to probably at some point agree it might not be that same day, but, um, but I, I would say for most ag lenders, um, our hearts are really in it to keep agriculture going in Nebraska, and, um, and we want to see that transition to the next generation. And so um, as lenders, we're doing everything we can to make sure that, um, that your operation is viable and successful for the long run. And Dallas, any final thoughts?
2: I don't think I could have said it better than Tara did. Uh, Just remember your lender is your advocate. Even in those hard conversations, uh, the lender has your best interest truly in mind uh, with those conversations. And uh, we wanna celebrate with you uh, in the good years and um, be there to be a tool and an advocate for you sometimes when things don't go quite as planned. So just see them as and an advocate and and communicate and have a good relationship with your lender.
1: Awesome, well thank you Dallas and Tara for joining us today and thank you everyone who participated in this webinar. A recording of this webinar will be posted at farm.unl.edu where you can also register for our other upcoming webinars which usually happen every Thursday at noon central time. Remember to visit farm.unl.edu for a schedule of upcoming farm and ranch management webinars, and uh, as well as view the recordings of past webinars. You will be receiving a short survey in your email. We would really appreciate your feedback on today's webinar and your input on future sessions. Thanks again for joining us.
0: This has been a special Nebraska FarmCast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.